0: Good morning. We welcome everyone here this morning, as well as those listening on T102 or watching this morning on Facebook Live. If we can now, I'd like to ask everyone to stand and join me in the call to worship. It came from the book of Psalm, chapter 89, verses 1 through 8. I will sing the great of the Lord's great love forever. With my mouth, I will make your faithfulness known. I will declare that your love stands firm
1: forever, and that you have established your faithfulness in heaven itself. You said,
0: I have made a covenant with my chosen one. I have sworn to David my servant, I will establish your line forever, and make your throne firm through all generations. Heaven's praise is Lord, for your faithfulness too, in the assembly of the holy For who in the skies above can compare with the Lord? Who is like the Lord among the heavenly beings? In the counsel of the holy ones, God is greatly feared. He is more awesome than all who surround him.
1: Who is like you, Lord God
0: Almighty? You, Lord Almighty, and your faithfulness surrounds you. Now we will continue to stand and sing our worship song.
2: Father, we ask that in the name of Jesus, you come and inhabit the praises of your people, We welcome you. We welcome you, Lord Jesus, that you will be glorified and lifted up. Because who is like you? Who is like you? You have established your covenant from generation to generation. Lord, we ask that the Holy Spirit be here. Minister, Lord God, speak through us. May these praises bring you all glory and honor. Because you are worthy of it all, Lord.
1: Because you are
2: worthy
1: of it all, because you are worthy of it all.
2: The God of Covenant, do you believe it? He's asking you, do you trust him? Do you know those Old Testament stories we're reading were just about real people, Abraham trusting God with all of his might. David singing his praises unto God because he knew there was no other God but him. Do you believe it? In the midst of your war? in the midst of your battle, do you believe it? that you can trust him no matter what is going on. He is the covenant, the covenant God of yesterday today and forever. Whatever that looks like for you, sing your praises to him. Lay it down at the altar. Lay it down at the cross. Let him take it over for you. We're calling on you, Lord God, the God of Jacob and Abraham and Isaac.
1: I'm calling on the God of Jacob whose love endures to. Jared I no. God. You are-
3: come to you humbly in the name of Jesus Christ. We thank you for providing your Holy Spirit to guide us through the ups and downs of life. We continue to provide. We ask for your continued guidance and your discernment, understanding, and wisdom in our lives. We are so blessed to have a God like you that can provide exactly what each of us need, whether we're going through difficult times or joyous times. Let us be reminded of who you are. Our sovereign Lord, maker and creator of all things, provider, and our healer. Father, there are many people in this church, our community, the surrounding communities, all across this world of yours that are struggling and hurting, need of comfort, hope, and peace that only you can provide. We pray for each and every one of them. We also would lift up, at this time, other churches and church families, particularly many of those that are in the midst of making difficult decisions on whether or not to leave their current denomination. We pray that you provide the wisdom and discernment to each of them and give them the truth they need to navigate through this decision. Lord, we acknowledge your sovereign control over all things we also acknowledge your word as being truth. As we see this current state of affairs with our society and our government, it can be sometimes difficult to believe that you're still in control. We sometimes feel hopeless and helpless. But your word tells us to trust and obey, and you will direct our paths. We thank you for this simple promise, Lord. We also acknowledge that you are the only one that can provide true hope, and you are the only one that provides true peace. It's a peace that transcends all understanding, and the only way to experience your peace is through a personal relationship with you through your Son, Jesus Christ. We thank you for the ultimate sacrifice that you made by sending your Son to the cross to shed his blood for the sins of every person in this world. We pray all this in his name as we join together in the prayer he taught us to pray, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our others not to temptation, but deliver us from thee. For thine is the kingdom,
4: and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. You may be seated, and I want to invite children forward for children's chat with Miss Carolyn at this time.
5: Did you look outside this morning when you got up? No. Yes? What would you see outside? What would you see outside, huh? Anything special? No? Well, the other day, I saw four bunny rabbits jumping around. They were playing in my backyard. They were having a great time. Now, this morning, guess what I saw? Blue jay. You know what a blue jay looks like? What color is he? Oh, you're so smart. You know how many of those there were? Nine. I have never seen nine blue jays all in one spot. It was totally awesome. Then I made the mistake of opening my inside door to take a picture, and guess where they went? No, not in my house.
1: <laughs> no,
5: the dog brings dead squirrels in my house, and the blue jays don't come in. So God is wonderful. You can't look at that in the morning. Go out In the morning, you look outside, and you see all the wonderful things God makes. Now, God makes a lot of promises. Does he keep his promises? Yes, he does. Who's who's some promises that he made that we know he kept
1: Hmm?
5: to noah Noah. oh well that's that's cheating you saw my color thing but yes he did what did he put in the sky to tell noah rainbow Rainbow. and why did he put the rainbow up there (laughs) that's right and he kept that promise now he made a promise to Mary too. What was that? That he she would have baby Jesus. Now he we're going to find out today in the scriptures today that he made a promise or a covenant with David, and he's telling David wanted to build a temple, but God said, "Nope, not now. We're going to let your son build it." But what he tells David is all about the forever king jesus coming through his family line you know what a family line is huh you have a great grandpa grandpa dad and and a boy or girl right that's four four great big long family line now did god keep that promise to david that there would be a special king and who was it jesus now They've also God's also made a promise that Jesus is going to do what? Come back again. And I believe He's going to keep that promise too. We just don't know when, because God knows the very best timing for those things to happen. So God always keeps his promises. So I do have a paper here, and these are some of God's promises. In the rainbow collar, just like what Miles said in the rainbow in the sky that God keeps his promises. And these promises, these, you know there's over 7,000 promises in the Bible. That's a lot of promises, isn't there? This one says, out of Jeremiah says, I have good plans for you. God has good plans for you. And I will give you rest. And God is always good for this one. I will never leave you. Is he always around when you need him? Absolutely. And I am the good shepherd. Are you his sheep? We are his sheep. He takes care of us. And God listens to us every time we ask him. Every time we pray. Is he there? Is he listening? Absolutely. And believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. To be saved means that we'll have eternal life with God in heaven. And do not be afraid, for I am with you. Did you have state tests this week? No, I didn't. Did yours already? Were you afraid? Afraid of the unknown? So God is with us. We don't need to be afraid. So I have a paper for you. My helpers are going to pass out. And you find some place in your house. And for fun, you should have the Bible. It has right there where you can find those promises in the Bible. And then you can look them up and see that they are in the Bible. Okay? Let us say a prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for this beautiful day. Thank you for all the things you make. The rabbits, the blue jays, the sun, the green grass, the flowers. All of this we give thanks for. And thank you so much for your promises. We know you keep them. You'll never fail us. And Lord, we love you. We love you especially for sending your son, Jesus, to give us eternal life. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.
4: Amen. Thanks, Carolyn. You guys can head back to your seats. Our offering this morning is in support of the Children's Ministry Fund here at First Church. And I think what we just witnessed is a great example of how important that... Ministry and that fund is. Uh, the Children's Ministry Fund supports both Sunday school and Iwana programs, and uh, we're seeing the practical impact that that fund is having uh, right here every Sunday morning during Children's Chat. Um, I, I tried to do a quick count, and I think I got 38 kids up here for Children's Chat. Just what a blessing that is, what a wonderful thing that is. And, and while we're on the topic, I want to say a special thank you to all of our Sunday school teachers youth leaders, Awana leaders, because without you, and and, and Children's Chat leaders as well, without you all, that would not be possible. So thank you so much for everyone who gives towards the ministry of children in our church, and we're so grateful um, that we're able to do that. And so our offering today does support the Children's Ministry Fund. I encourage you to give as you feel led to give this morning. I also want to just make one more quick announcement. Um, There is going to be, there's For the last several months, there's been an announcement in the bulletin about interest, about new membership. And so if anybody is interested in being a member of the church or learning more about that, there is going to be an information meeting after church on Sunday, May 21st, down in the social room. we will be able to talk about what it means to be a member, some important information like that. And there'll be some light refreshments served as well. So reach out to me or contact the church office if you're interested in that. If you just want to know what it's all about, it's a good place to start. So I encourage you to to be a part of that meeting on May 21st. This time I want to invite the deacons forward for our offering.
6: Like to turn to page 306 in your Pew Bible to join in with me, you can. Um, the reading comes from 2 Samuel, verses 7 1 through 29. After the king was settled in his palace and the Lord had given him rest for all of his enemies around him, he said to Nathan the prophet, Here I am living in a house of cedar, while the ark of God remains in a tent. Nathan replied to the king, Whatever you have in mind, go ahead and do it, for the Lord is with you. But that night the word of the Lord came to Nathan, saying, Go and tell my servant David, this is what the Lord says Are you the one to build me a house to dwell in? I have not dwelt in a house from the day I brought from the Israelites up out of Egypt to this day. I have been moving from place to place with a tent as my dwelling. Wherever I have moved with all the Israelites, did I ever say to any of the rulers whom I commanded to the shepherds, my Israel people, Why have you not built me a house of cedar? Now then, tell my servant David, this is what the Lord Almighty says I took you from the pasture, from tending the flock, and appointed you ruler over my people of Israel. I have been with you wherever you have gone, and I have cut off all of your enemies from before you. Now I will make your name great, like the names of the greatest men on earth, and I will provide a place for my people Israel and will plant them so that they can have a home of their own and no longer be disturbed. Wicked people will not oppress them anymore as they did at the beginning and have done ever since the time I appointed leaders over my people of Israel. I will also give you rest from all of your enemies. The Lord declares to you that the Lord himself will establish a house for you. When your days are over and you rest with your ancestors, I will raise up your offsprings to succeed you your own flesh and blood and i will establish his kingdom he is the one who will build a house for my name and i will establish the throne of his kingdom forever i will be his father and he will be my son when he does wrong i will punish him with a rod wielded by men with floggings inflicted by human hands but my love will never be taken away from him as i took it away from saul whom i removed from before you Your house and your kingdom will endure forever before me. Your throne will be established forever. Nathan reported to David all the words of this entire revelation. Then King David went in and sat before the Lord and said, Who am I, the Sovereign Lord, and what is my family that you have brought me this far? And as if this were not enough in your sight, Sovereign Lord... You have also spoken about the future of the house of your servant, and this decree, Sovereign Lord, is for a mere human. What more can David say to you? For you know your servant, Sovereign Lord. For the sake of your word and according to your will, you have done this great thing, and it made it known to your servant. How great you are, Sovereign Lord! There is no one like you, and there is no God but you, as we have heard with our own ears. And who is like the people of Israel, the one nation, on earth that god went out to redeem as a people for himself and to make a name for himself and to perform great and awesome wonders by driving out nations and their gods from before your people whom you redeemed from egypt you've established your people's israel as your very own forever and you lord have become their god and now lord god keep forever the promise you have made concerning your servants in his house do as you promised So that your name will be great forever. Then will people say, The Lord Almighty is God over Israel, and the house of your servant David will be established in your sight. Lord God Almighty, God of Israel, you have revealed this to your servant, saying, I will build a house for you. So your servant has found courage to pray this prayer to you. Sovereign Lord, you are God. Your covenant is trustworthy, and you have promised these good things to your servant Now be pleased to bless the house of your servant, that it may continue forever in your sight. For you, Sovereign Lord, have spoken, and with your blessing, the house of your servant will be blessed.
4: Thanks, Anita. Let's go to the Lord in prayer once again. Father God, we are grateful for the opportunity to gather here today and to worship you in song and in prayer, and now through the reading and study of your word. I pray that as I share what you've placed on my heart to share this morning, that they be your words and not mine. And may your Holy Spirit open our hearts and minds to what you have to say to us today. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. When I was younger and in middle school and high school, I know one of the things that I always kind of dreaded at school was doing book reports. Now, I love to read. I just didn't exactly like to write the report on what I had read. And so for whatever reason, as a kid... um, When you're told to read something, you don't want to read it, right? As good as the book may be or as interesting as it may be, if it's an assignment, you're less likely to actually go and read the whole thing for yourself. And that's where a guy named Cliff comes in. Do you guys know who I'm talking about, right? Cliff notes that he would, whoever this Cliff guy was, had a genius idea that he would go and summarize, right, important works of literature so that you didn't have to read them for yourself. You could go and you know buy the book and then in the internet days with spark notes was essentially the same thing for free online you could go and read summaries of of the book and in individual chapters and even the authors had even summarize uh, themes that ran throughout the book so that you could use that resource for your book report now I'm not suggesting any of you youth out there that you should do that I'm just saying I might have a little bit of experience in that area myself if there was a Cliff Notes or Spark Notes for the Bible, right, besides the commentaries and study notes that we have, um, and if it traced important chapters or important themes that influenced the, the, the theme and the story of Scripture as a whole, there'd be a lot of chapters to include in that, right? There's a lot of high points, a lot of important passages that we could reference in a summary like that. But 2 Samuel 7 is going to be near the top of anybody's list. This is a very important chapter when it comes to the story of scripture and the narrative of uh, God's history of salvation. The threads of that are that are talked the the theme in this chapter has threads that go all the way back to the opening chapters of Genesis and go all the way forward to the closing chapters of Revelation because it's here in 2 Samuel 7 that God makes an unconditional promise to David that he will establish David's throne and the kingdom forever. That promise goes back to uh, the promise that God made Abraham in Genesis 12, when God said, I will make you a great nation and I will give you a place, right? This is God continuing to be faithful to the promise from generations and generations before. And this promise also looks ahead to its ultimate fulfillment, not in David, not in Solomon or any of his immediate descendants, but in Jesus Christ as the King of kings and Lord of lords. And so we're going to talk today about God's everlasting kingdom and and what we can learn about it from 2 Samuel 7, but also drawing from other resources throughout Scripture because this is such an important theme. It goes and you can find the fingerprints of this theme throughout Scripture itself. So to, to begin today, let's look at some background information of how we get to this point in 2 Samuel chapter 7 the opening chapters of this book describe david's ascension to the throne and his consolidation of power if you've been reading along with your bible reading plan you see you know that david was not israel's first king there was a man named saul that god had appointed or god through the prophet samuel appointed king before david but saul was disobedient and did not listen to the lord's instruction and so so his kingdom was torn from him and given to david instead And 2 Samuel describes David defeating the remnants of Saul's house, being anointed king over all of Israel. Describes military victories like defeating the Philistines, who at that time were Israel's greatest enemy. In just one chapter previous, in 2 Samuel chapter 6, the Ark of the Covenant, the very symbol of God's presence among his people, was brought to Jerusalem to reside. And so now that David has his house in order, he says that he wants to build a house for God. Now, that word house can also mean temple, right? He's thinking of building a permanent dwelling for God and uh, a place for people to go and to worship. David wants to do something great for God to bless the Lord. But God has other plans, doesn't he? He's not, he, God, is, <laughs> the Lord is going to do something great for David instead. He's going to bless David and his household. See, the Lord's promise here in this chapter teaches us something important about God and his kingdom. There's three things I want us to focus on this morning, and I'll get back to them, but I want to share them with you up front. First, it teaches us that God's kingdom doesn't come about through human effort. It is God's work from beginning to end. Second, we learn that God's kingdom doesn't function the same as other worldly kingdoms. And third, because of those two things, God's promise, excuse me, God's people are called to live as citizens of the kingdom. And David's prayer in the second half of the chapter models what that looks like for us. So let's start with the first point there, that God's kingdom is not established through human effort, All right, What is David's initial desire? He wants to do something great for God. He wants to build him a temple and make his name great. Who hasn't felt the desire to do something great for God? When I was a teenager, I attended a conference called Acquire the Fire. These were like weekend conferences that went all over the country. And if I recall correctly, I think we were down in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania for this overnight conference. And, and it was one of those conferences that just really challenged you to do something great for God. And, and I remember even near the end of the weekend, there was this call of uh, almost like an altar call of challenging people to go into the ministry or the mission field. And they even had a a school where people could go and be trained to share God's word all over the world. The desire to do something great for God is normal and natural for God's people. And that's exactly what David wants to do here. He wants to build the Lord a temple. He wants to give God a permanent dwelling place, a permanent home to place his name. But we see here that David has it all backwards, doesn't he? God doesn't need our branding efforts to make his name great. He doesn't need us to build him a temple. God doesn't need us to establish his kingdom for him. God is quite capable of doing that on his own. And so we see the Lord's response to David here is, is quite interesting. He, first of all, he says, I don't need a temple to begin with. Right? He, he reminds him that from the days that they left Egypt until now, he didn't have a permanent temple to call his home. He is not restricted to a single place and he moves freely wherever he so desires. It has always been that way and will continue to be that way even after the temple is built. Paul in Acts chapter 17 reflects on this truth and he says to the people of Athens in Acts 17, 24 through 25, he says, the God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth. He does not live in temples built by human hands and he is not served by human hands as if he needs anything. Rather, he himself gives everyone life and breath and everything else. See, God does not need a temple. He does not need our sacrifices. He does not need really anything that we can do for him. He is completely and totally independent of his creation. So it's not about us building his kingdom for him. Instead, the Lord promises to build his kingdom for us that's what he says and going on to say in the promises in verses 8 through 11, the Lord promises that he will give David and Israel a place to rest and to make David's name great. The nation, the land the, that God had promised Abram back in Genesis 12 is now coming to its fulfillment. And so he says that he will make David's name great, that he will give them peace and a place to put their name. All the things that David wanted to do for God, God says, no, 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 I'm going to do that for you. I'm going to take care of you, and I'm going to be the one to accomplish it. And then in verses 11 through 16, he, the Lord promises that David will, David's throne, his kingdom, will endure forever. And it's only natural for us to ask, how can this be true? How is it possible for a human kingdom to last forever? We know David's not going to live forever, and David's descend- descendants won't either. In fact, the rest of the Old Testament clearly demonstrates that David's descendants don't do a great job. They neither live forever, nor do they remain faithful to God. Both Israel and Judah are eventually conquered by foreign powers, and God allows their kingdoms to be destroyed because of their sin and their idolatry. And so we know that no human being can rule forever. No human king can rule perfectly. And so the immediate fulfillment of this promise is David's son Solomon. He's the one who will build the temple. But Solomon eventually dies and his kingdom is divided into two after his life. And so there must be more to this promise than Solomon. The long-term fulfillment, of course, is through Jesus, the Messiah. He is a descendant of David and he will rule forever with righteousness, justice, and authority. The verses that seem so familiar at christmas time are relevant to us here today isaiah chapter 9 verses 6 and 7 for to us a child is born to us a son is given the government will be on his shoulders and he'll be called wonderful counselor mighty god everlasting father prince of peace and of the greatness of his government and peace there will be no end he will reign on david's throne and over his kingdom establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on forever The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. You see, Isaiah is building off of the promise that God makes to David here in 2 Samuel 7, that one day a king will come and he will reign forever and he will reign with righteousness and justice and authority. And God himself will accomplish it. That's exactly what he does through Christ, through Jesus. See, that's the tension that runs through the Old Testament into the New the promise that god made david in 2 samuel 7 remained unfulfilled until the arrival of christ god's people are under foreign rule for for centuries with no end in sight and then jesus is born and jesus fulfills that promise not immediately though right That's why why there's this confusion during Jesus' ministry. The disciples and others expected Jesus to restore the kingdom of Israel during his life. They thought he was going to kick all the Romans out and establish David's throne right then and there. But Jesus upends those expectations. Instead of taking up the throne of David, Jesus first takes up the cross. He does receive a crown, but it's a crown of thorns. And He will rule and reign from David's throne. But first, he needed to go to the cross. And he will come again to establish his kingdom when he returns. So the first thing we need to know is that God doesn't need us. We need him. We think God needs our gifts and our talents, our ministry, but he doesn't. He can do just fine on his own. The truth is that we need him. We need his faithfulness. We need His promises, and we need Him to rule and reign in our hearts. And so trust Him, and He will take care of the rest. And honestly, I think there's something very reassuring in all of this. That God's plan and His purposes never fail, and they don't depend on you, and they don't depend on me. And we can thank God for that, because like David's descendants, we would make a mess of it too. One of the things that I've noticed while reading through the Old Testament is just how flawed people are, right? You got great heroes of the faith like Abraham, Jacob, Moses, Samson, even David himself. They all made some pretty terrible mistakes. But God's plan wasn't thwarted when Abraham lied. It wasn't thwarted when Moses murdered an Egyptian. And it wasn't thwarted when David committed adultery and murder. No, God's plan was still accomplished and praise God for that. I'm so thankful for God's unconditional love and unmerited grace because I'm a sinner just like them. And newsflash for you, you are too. So if God's plan depended on our ability to carry it out or our, our perfect obedience, we would all fall short. But thank God his kingdom does not depend on me. It's based solely on the faithfulness, his faithfulness in what Jesus accomplished on the cross. So we need to keep moving forward here this morning. God, we, need to, we see that God's kingdom is not established by human efforts, but he will accomplish it for us. The second thing we see is that uh, th- we need to focus on is the characteristics of God's kingdom. Right? He says here that his kingdom will last forever. It is distinct. It is different than any other kingdom in this world. I would define God's kingdom as being present wherever and whenever his rule and reign is experienced. When Jesus stood before Pilate the, the, night, the day he was on trial and crucified, Jesus told Pilate that his kingdom is not an earthly kingdom, that it will not be defined by national borders or earthly governments, but it's a heavenly kingdom that transcends nations and transcends borders. It is not of this world. And his kingdom is brought about through the ministry of Jesus. His very first words during his public ministry was the kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. As we saw in Isaiah chapter 9 and throughout the rest of the Old Testament prophets, God's kingdom is defined by justice and righteousness, by faithfulness and peace. Something that is impossible for worldly kingdoms to accomplish on their own. We need God To experience those things. And one day his kingdom will be, will be free from the effects, sin and the effects of sin. In Revelation 21, it says, every, he will wipe away every tear from their eyes for there'll be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. God is working to remove sin, not just the penalty of sin, but the very presence of sin from his creation. And when Jesus returns to establish his kingdom, it will become a reality. Jesus' kingdom is an upside-down kingdom. And what I mean by that is his priorities, the, ki- the priorities of his kingdom are aligned with his character and his word, not how this world normally operates. Right? The world says things like might makes right, but Jesus tells us that the meek will inherit the earth. The world says to demonize your enemies and always think the worst of their actions and motives. But Jesus says to love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. His kingdom is an upside-down kingdom, and so therefore we as his citizens must live differently. We must put Christ first in everything that we do and align ourselves with his word, not the ways of the world. We know that Jesus is king of all kings, that he has all authority in heaven and earth. It's been given to him by the Father. And when he returns, he will establish his kingdom here and now. It's what we pray every Sunday when we pray the Lord's Prayer together. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That's not just wishful thinking. That's a a promise based in God's Word that Christ will come and establish his kingdom here and now. And when we pray the Lord's Prayer, we are looking forward to that reality. One day when all earthly kingdoms will be subject to his lordship and to his authority. And finally, I know I went through these pretty quickly, but the last characteristic for eternity. Restoration of what was lost at the Garden of Eden. Right? That's the promise that we see fulfilled in Revelation 21 and 22. That what was lost in the garden, that personal close connection with the Lord, is restored when heaven comes down to earth. That we will be with him and he will be with us. And that relationship will be experienced in its fullness. So that's what God's kingdom is like. It's an everlasting kingdom. And it is different than any earthly kingdom can offer. And so finally, we must live then as citizens of Christ's kingdom. If God is accomplishing that for us, right? If he is establishing his kingdom on earth through Christ, and if that's what his kingdom looks like, then we ought to live now as if that is true, right? Even as, even as we wait for Christ's return and even as we long for his kingdom to be established in this world, we can live as citizens of Christ's kingdom here and now. And that's what the focus of David's response is. His prayer demonstrates what, what it looks like, the kind of attitude we should have as we wait for God's kingdom to be established. And it's defined by humility, praise, and trust. The first part of David's prayer demonstrates his humility. He recognizes that neither he nor his family deserve such honor and blessing from the Lord. It's unmerited grace. You see, no one deserves God's blessing. We all need to appreciate that. We all need to appreciate God's unconditional love, his unconditional favor with grace and humility like David did. David acknowledges that the that he's not doing it because David earned it somehow or that his family was somehow better than everybody else, but it was simply for the sake of his word and the, and the, the, the word of the Lord and the Lord's will. God acts according to his own will and we are recipients of his unmerited grace and, and love. And second, we need to have an attitude of Praise. David then breaks out into praise and acknowledges that no one is like the Lord, that he alone is worthy of all praise and honor and glory because he does great things. All the other idols, all other so-called gods are powerless and unable to help those who pray to them. But, but the Lord is the one true God who is able to do what he says he will do. He is able to fulfill the promises that he makes. And so he alone is worthy of our praise and our glory, or our giving him praise and glory. And in verse 24, David notes that it's, that it's God's a personal relationship with the Lord that sets God's people apart from everyone else. It's his unconditional, the unconditional nature of that relationship is defined here. It's God who establishes his people, and he establishes that relationship forever. And finally, David ends his prayer with a statement of trust the prayer that God, asking God to do what He promises to do, that God would fulfill His promise. We we must remember in all things that God is faithful and He will accomplish what He says He will do. It's ultimately for God's glory that people will praise God when they see what He has done. And we can trust that God is faithful because he is sovereign, as David recognizes here. Notice he calls him sovereign Lord multiple times. That word sovereign means to be in control, total and complete control of all things. And so he, he can trust God because he knows that he is sovereign. He is in control. And because of that, he is trustworthy. He will not change his mind nor fail to keep his promise. So I want to say one more thing as we wrap up here david's prayer is a great example of how we can pray and and seek the lord's kingdom and what david does here at the end is really important for us as we pray see prayer is simply stating is asking god to do what he already promised to do in our lives prayer is asking god to do what he's already promised to do for us It's taking God at his word and saying, Lord, you are trustworthy. You are faithful. You promise to do these things. Now do it, right? And it's coming to him in the faith and the hope that he will accomplish his purposes in this world. That's all prayer is. It's asking God to do what he already promised to do, trusting and knowing that he is faithful and that his kingdom is forever. Let's pray together. Father God, I thank you for your word and I thank you, that your word is true and that this promise that we see here spelled out for us in 2 Samuel chapter 7 is a promise that you are still fulfilling today in our lives through your son, Jesus Christ, who is King of kings and Lord of lords. Lord, we don't deserve it. Uh, your, Your promise is unconditional. It is unmerited. It is unearned. Yet you are faithful and we praise you for that. We thank you for your amazing grace. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. Let's stand and let's close our service by singing about God's amazing grace. what a joy it is to know that God is establishing his kingdom, right? He is the one accomplishing it, but we also need to remember that he is working through us, through me, and through you to bring that about, that he doesn't need us, but he chooses to love us and to work through us anyways, and we praise God for that. Now, may the grace of our, may the love of God, the fellowship, may the the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen. You may go in peace.